0: So if I haven't mentioned before, my name is Grant, and I don't normally sound like Barry White. Um, but somebody last week from Christ the King shared with me a virus. May God have mercy on your soul. Uh, I forgive you. It's all good. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put my head down, and we're going to preach this thing. i got one more to go, I'm going to go home and lay down. That's what we're going to do, not infecting anybody. Love y'all. Right now, it's the Holy Spirit versus caffeine versus Dayquil. That's how it's working, and we're going to pray the Holy Spirit wins, all right? Okay, open your Bible. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be all morning long. We'll get there in just a moment. I'm sitting in my office on Monday, and it happens. My hypothalamus activates my adrenal glands, and it floods my bloodstream with cortisol. The cortisol starts heading for my hippocampus. Hormones rush to my adrenal glands and try to stem off the flow of cortisol into my body, but it's too late because my brain has already released narrow peptide S, and my respirations begin to pick up. My body starts to awaken in the wrong sort of a way, and homeostasis is a thing of the past, and it all started with one single thought. How am I going to pay for my kid's college? I just described what happens in your body when you do something we all do. Some of you have already done it this morning. I just described what happens in your body when you worry. I mean, we've all done it. Some of the hypochondriacs in the room right now are worried because you think I might infect you, right? That's why I'm going to bring this back here just a little bit. God bless you, Terry, Amy. That's awesome. Front row people make me happy. Okay. This weekend we're going to talk about the practical thought about worry. We've been doing a series called Freeway. And one of the greatest freedom robbers and freedom thieves that I've ever encountered in my life is worry. Now I'm not talking about the normal everyday God-given concern that we have about each other or or truly important situations in our life. I I believe that God has given all of us a smoke detector of concern that helps us love people and love each other and know ourselves. But I'm talking about... That gut-wrenching choice that we make to do something about something that we can do absolutely nothing about. Does that make sense? I used to work in the college ministry here at Christ the King. and Outside of the time when I had two infant children, I can't think of a time in my life when I was more consumed with worry. I mean, I'm getting ready to graduate from college. I'm planning on getting married shortly after graduation. I remember at college, you know, standing there in my Batman outfit, and they give me a piece of paper that says, you now know something, which kind of ironic in some ways, and I get my diploma, and I sit down in my chair, and I go through a mental checklist. I got no job, no prospects, no place to live, no money, no network of people. I've got nothing, and 60 days from now, I'm going to stand across from someone that I'm going to profess my love for before Almighty God and promise to provide everything that I currently have nothing of. That's intimidating. I was a mess. I'm losing weight. I'm stressed. I'm irritable. I'm overwhelmed and scared. My hair's falling out, which was something because I had a good mullet in the 80s. I'm telling you, I'm just completely freaking out. When I got married, I was 149 pounds. Some things have changed, okay? All right. Yeah, you wait till you're 40 plus and you'll find out how it works, all right? I mean, I was at the mercy of worry, and it was beating me senseless. And I just wish in that moment somebody would have showed up in my life and said three words to me. I'm not going to tell you what the three words are right now. They're not, I love you. They're not, it'll be okay. That's not, don't worry, be happy. That's four, just in case you're wondering, okay. But three words from Scripture that are true and can be counted on for a lifetime. Three words that I'll get to in just a moment. Everybody in the room is not immune to worry. Y'all got something in the back of your head right now. Some of you are worried about what people are thinking about you. Some of you are worrying about the unknown things in life. Where am I going to work? Will I find someone to love me? Where am I going to be in one year, five years, ten years? Will my children turn out? Where am I going to get money to cover all of these dreams that I'm going through? Am I going to lose my business? Will I get downsized? How am I going to hope with Monday? Are I going to cope with Monday? I mean, is my marriage going to last? We all carry this stuff. The word worry all by itself carries an incredible amount of meaning with it, okay? Let me break it down for you. The Greek word for anxious is merimnao, which literally means to be divided or distracted, to be cut in half. The Latin word for anxious is anxious, which means to be choked or to be strangled. The German word that we get our word worry from is the word vergen. That's a good word right there. And it means to suffocate or to be slowly choked off. I mean, when you add that all up, it gives you a great description of worry, doesn't it? Worry chokes the life out of you. It distracts you, divides your thoughts, crawls inside your head, and strangles your ability to believe that there's hope. And this is what I love about God. Jesus knew we were all going to struggle with worry at some level, and that's why he said these words in Matthew chapter 6. Here it comes. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? It's a good statement, great question. Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of flowers the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? But the pagans run after those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus knew we were all going to worry because we're human. And if you're human today and you're carrying any kind of worry at all, I got three words for you and we'll get to them in a minute. Let me give you five biblical truths, facts about worry. I don't want to give you three easy steps to conquer worry. I don't believe it's humanly possible to ever completely conquer this. I do believe the truth of God's word, though, can help put what we're facing into perspective and allow us to face it with confidence. So let me give you the facts. Fact number one, worry lives in the future. If you're a worrier, you spend a disproportionate amount of time speculating on what might happen, and then you fear the worst. When you worry, you take the problems of tomorrow and you drag them kicking and screaming into today. Even though it hasn't even happened yet, and even though there's nothing you can do about it because it's still in the future, you bring them back and allow them to tie your stomach in knots and quicken your pulse and give you ulcers. And it kind of ticks you off when God says, hey, tomorrow's got enough issues with its, uh, I mean, with its own. Just leave it there. You'll get to it quick enough, you're going to be able to face it when it comes, and you'll get grace to be able to do that. Every pastor in America that I know of on Monday morning sits in front of their Bible, opens it up, and it's the same thought. What am I going to preach about in six days? And if you're a human being, it kind of goes like this for me. I sit there and go, what am I going to preach about? What if nothing comes? Because very often on Mondays, you know what comes? Nothing. Nothing. What if nothing comes? What if what does come is really, really, really bad? What if I can't get my outline in on time and I disappoint Randy and Scott and Michelle? What if God gives me a message and I just completely miss it because I'm distracted or trying to follow something else? What if, what if, what if? That's what I worry about as a pastor. What are you worrying about? Worried about making your mortgage payment? Worried about whether or not your college classes are going to transfer exactly the way you want to or you're going to end up having to spend another quarter in school? Worried about that relationship that just seems to be kind of hanging on the edge. We all have those moments. And in those moments, when we worry, we make a strategic mistake. We jump into the future, pick up something that was meant for then, and we drag it back just so we can fixate on it for a little while. And to those worriers in the room, and I know this is for everybody else except you, right? The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. So if you've ever gone into the future and claimed a situation that you could do nothing about, I got three words for you, and we'll get it to them in a second. Fact number two, worry paralyzes our heart. It paralyzes our heart. When I lived in Brandon, I played on a fast-pitch team. In Canada, fast-pitch is a guy's sport, okay? Just saying, all right? And we used to play on a series of diamonds that surrounded a correctional institute. The provincial jail was right there where we played. And the inmates would often come and stand along the fence and watch us play our games. We had a guy on our team named Jerry Poole. Jerry was a a Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer. And one day, one of the guys standing at the fence beckoned... Some of the guys over, and we went over and had a talk, and they said, we've got a fast pitch team in here. Why don't you guys come on inside and play us sometime? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I'm bringing my bat with me. That's how that's going to roll, you know? And so we actually did. We went and played. And I felt really good until that big metal door clanked behind me, right? Right? And the first thing they do is they walk us out to the field. We have to go through the inmates' weight room in order to get there. And there are men with arms that are larger than me. And they are, they're pumping iron and racking weights. And there's one big guy. He had no neck. It was just ears to shoulders. I walk past him and he goes, "Boo!" And I'm like, gah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. All of a sudden, my worry factor is beginning to go up. I begin to unpack our gear. They'd search through our bags and stuff like that. We're going through the gear, I'm laying it out. This great big guy who was their bag catcher comes walking over to me and he goes, Did you bring a saw? Excuse me, did you bring a saw? I'm like, Should I have? I know, I'm not sure how to answer that question. I mean, you're big, I'm small. That's how it's working, all right? So. I kind of freaked out. I mean, my worry factor is just getting higher and higher and higher. And, and then we start playing them, and we actually hold them for the first four innings. And then in the fifth inning, they just decided, oh, we're going to play now. Score 21 runs. <laughs> Bottom of the fifth. So I'm standing there, you know, talking to a guy on second base after they're spanking us. I'm like, you guys are pretty good. Never forget his answer. He said, we are pretty good. He goes, you'd be good, too, if you had 12 hours a day to practice. I'm like, I can't okay. (laughs) After the game, their third baseman walks up to me and goes, you don't remember me, do you? Like, I don't. We went to elementary school together because I was a couple years ahead of you, but he goes, I remember you. We began to share our stories. I shared my story, how Jesus was really working in my life at that point. He shared his story about how he got off on a path started associating with people that he shouldn't have, and I kept thinking as I was leaving that day after I heard his story, I would have completely missed out on this if I would have let worry prevent me from going in and actually having a conversation with somebody who just needed to be reminded that they hadn't been forgotten and that God had most certainly not forgotten their name. In that moment, I needed to hear three words. I'll share them in a minute. Fact number three, (laughs) worry drains our joy. And have you ever noticed how difficult it is to be joyful when you're consumed with worry? The truth is you can't, because you're divided. Joy and worry are are total polar opposites. You can't be both. There's a famous story told of, of two little boys who were actually submitted to psychological testing. One of the twin boys was a chronic worrier. The other one was a little kid. He's just one of those positive, affirming, overflowing with joy kind of kids. And they put them in two separate rooms and gave them two boxes. The chronic worrier was given a box filled with the latest and greatest toys. And the psychologist watched as he looked inside of the box and then began to speak out loud I said, I can't touch the toys, because after all, I might break one of them, and if I break one of them, I'm probably going to get in trouble, and if I get into trouble, I'll probably get spanked. And he just closed up the box and left it alone. The other little boy was given a box of horse manure. And they, when they were finished watching, the little boy who was filled with chronic worry came over to the other room, and the little boy was gone. But they could see the box moving on the ground. And stuff is starting to fly out of the top of it. And he can hear, they can hear him. And all of a sudden, his head pops out of the box. And he cries to himself. He goes, where there's this much manure, there has got to be a pony. <laughs> Some of you have heard a different version of that, but it's church, okay? So just stick with me, all right? You know what that little worrying boy needed? He needed to understand... That when we are completely controlled and living in the Holy Spirit, worry is not a part of the equation because we live in the comfort of trusting God. Galatians 5 says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the words anxiety and worry do not appear anywhere in that sentence. That little worrying boy needed to hear three words. I'll share them with you in a minute. Fact number four, worry warps our perspective. Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 4, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. We get offended when the Bible calls them that, don't we? It's like, there's nothing light and momentary about what I'm going through. Stick with me. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. As a part of the freeway series, we talked about the Apostle Peter standing on the edge of the boat, making a decision that that, that he was going to go against what culture was telling him to do, that he was going to to, to make an understanding that there was no security staying inside of the boat with the 11 other cowards, but instead his greatest security was walking on water with Jesus, even though that reality didn't match up with what he knew to be right and good and true. So he got himself out over the side of the boat. And the Bible tells us as a part of that story that he took his eyes off of Jesus and he got consumed with the wind and the waves. You know what the Bible calls that? They call it being divided and distracted because the reality is sometimes our storms just seem too great. And we get kind of ticked when the Bible has the audacity to call the storm we're going through a light and momentary trouble. Let me ask you a question. Do the things that consume you with worry, do those seem light and momentary to you? Mm-mm. They seem all-consuming. They feel like they're going to crush us. So how does the Bible get away with calling what we're going through light and momentary? Let me tell you how it gets away with it. It does it by comparing them to the unbelievable and infinite power of God who's above them all. You see, this is what happens. When we take our worry, the things that concern us, and we compare them to horizontally to the other things that people are going through, it's no wonder that they can be completely overwhelming. The Scripture says, don't compare them horizontally, compare them vertically. Take what you're facing and compare them to the infinite majesty and hugeness of God Himself, and then you will find that what you're facing will actually come into perspective. Years ago, my wife and I went to Swift Current, Saskatchewan. We happened to be there on Canada Day. And Canada Day, July the 1st, is kind of the equivalent of what we do here on the 4th of July when we blow stuff up and send stuff into the sky and it pops and booms and it's just a great time, right? So we were going to these Can- a series of Canada Day fireworks and we'd waited all day long for it and we were a little disappointed when a prairie thunderstorm started rolling in. Now, if you've never experienced a prairie thunderstorm, it's an incredible thing. You see the thunderheads, the clouds begin to build hours before the storm even hits you. And they begin to roll out, and they come towards you, and you can literally smell the rain before it gets to you. And then the wind begins to blow, and then all of a sudden it goes totally quiet, and then it's like the skies just open up, and this deluge, this downpour just comes flashing through. It's usually accompanied by lightning, which just lights up the sky, deafening thunder, and it just builds and booms and crashes. It's amazing. So we're sitting watching this storm. It's like God is taking pictures. I mean, flash bulbs in heaven, they're going all over the place. And as the storm just begins to, to hit its peak, at exactly the same time, the fireworks display starts. So we're watching. It's like, really? It's like God sat up in heaven and said, that's what you've got. Ha <laughs> ha. Watch this, and he just unleashed this storm. The sky went absolutely nuts, and I'm thinking, why in the world would my eyes be drawn to these little tiny pops and booms that human beings have made when God, infinite in all of his power, is putting on this absolute spectacle? But that's exactly what we do when we worry. We get our eyes on the little pops and booms. And we take our eyes off of the majesty and the infinite power of God. I mean, let's just be honest. We get so consumed by our limited vision, our limited plane, because we can only see on our level. And worry comes in, and we can't see anything beyond ourselves, and we're overwhelmed. And while God is painting pictures in the sky, we're totally transfixed by these tiny little pops and booms that are running our Monday through Saturday that describes you at all, I got three words for you, and we're almost there. Fact number five, worry strangles our faith. You know, the truth is when we worry, this is what we're quietly saying to God. We're saying, I do not trust you. We don't like it in that kind of language, but that's what we're saying. When we worry and take something from tomorrow and borrow and drag it back into today, what we're really saying to God is, I don't think you know what you're doing. When we worry, we're really saying to God, I think I can do more about this situation than you can. A couple of times a year, I always have a set of parents that come and sit in my office and they're struggling with this idea. Their kids have decided to follow God literally to the other side of the world. And they're worrying about their children. And they're worried about how can they possibly release into God's care, their son or their daughter, who has just announced to them, I feel called of God to go and do something bigger than the little piece of the world that I've grown up in. And the parents come, and they're absolutely tortured. And I begin to ask them questions, like number one, shouldn't you be thrilled that your kids actually want to go and do what you've been preaching that they should do all of these years? I say, doesn't it seem, do I need to remind you that before they were yours, they were his, that your son or your daughter belongs to Jesus, and the safest place your kid can be is in the palm of the hand of Almighty God. Can we just agree together that you may be the most incredible mom and dad in the world, but you can't protect your kid from anything, but God is the one who can sustain them and cover them and feed them and clothe them. I mean, is is there anything inside of us that that would allow us to believe that, that somehow they would be in a better place if we were willing to unwrap our hand and trust them to Him? Those are tough conversations. Sometimes worry strangles our faith, and we end up We end up convincing everyone around us, let's just play it safe. Let's just hold on. Let's not do anything weird. Because anytime we step out of our comfort zone, what begins to happen inside of our hypothalamus and adrenal gland, we begin to worry. If anything that I've talked about so far this morning describes you, I got three words for you. If you're worrying, I have three words for you. Three words from the New Testament that can encourage your heart. Three words that can help you with your perspective and give you back your joy and free up your heart and let your faith breathe again. Three words that are the launching pad to putting worry on its knees, begging for mercy. Three words that Scripture says will make demons run, the devils tremble, and our troubles prospectively smaller. I've got three words that can give you hope that you can get through, that God is not done, and that we are not alone. I have three words that can swell our faith and make us believe that we don't need to be victims of worry anymore. Some of you are going to hear the three words and say, that's a pat answer, and I will agree with you. This is an answer that you can stand pat on for the rest of your life. Because as much as we want to say, this is not valid to us, this is the beginning and the foundation that allows us to ground our faith in a place that says, if God truly is control, why would I waste any time and energy worrying about something that he already says he has under his control? 1 John 3.19, the three words are embedded in the center of this beautiful sentence. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence, whenever our hearts condemn us. Here that comes. Four. Three words. God is greater. One and a half people agreed with me. Let me try that again. For God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything, absolutely Everything, that's it. God is greater. God's greater than my problem, greater than my fear, greater than my prodigal son or daughter, greater than my need, greater than my hope, greater than the storm, greater than the knot that's enwrapped itself in the middle of my stomach, greater than my solutions. God simply is greater. Now I took that and I kind of flipped it on its head and I asked myself the question, so what? It's so easy to say, isn't it? God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, until I don't have enough money to pay my mortgage. And then what do I question? Whether or not God is good, and what can I do about it? Nothing. So what do I decide to do about it? Worry. What if we flipped it all over? If God is greater, and Scripture says that He is, then He knows all about my problems. If He knows about my problem, He knows about me. And if He knows me, then He knows what I can and can't handle. And if He knows what I can and can't handle, then He knows my limits. And if He knows my limits, He knows exactly where to step in and whisper to me, when you are weak, I am strong. And if he knows where to step in, then I can always move forward in faith, knowing that God is underneath of me, carrying and sustaining me as I walk along. And if I'm moving forward in faith, trusting in God, that I can count on, that a God who keeps his promises and will never let me fall, then the truth is, I have absolutely nothing to worry about. So easy to say. So difficult to do. So here's what's happening spiritually right now. God's going, okay, if I really am greater, give it to me and leave it here. We're good with the first part, right? Oh, absolutely, God, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There you go, absolutely, that's perfect. And God's like, yeah, no, bring it to me and leave it here but I don't know if I can trust you, God. Guess what you just did? Started worrying. Now we're worried about whether or not God has the capacity to handle the thing that He just asked us for. So here's the challenge, Christ the King. We claim to know and trust God. If that's true, then we have nothing to worry about. I got two and a half amens. This is practical stuff, right? We say, I want to be free. There's only one way to be free from worry, and that's to believe three words. God is greater. Did you pray with me this morning? Father God, we believe. Would you help us in our unbelief? God, we believe that you are greater than our financial issue. You're greater than our need for clients in our business. We're, you're greater than that C-minus we got on an exam that just wrecked our GPA. God, you're greater than that relationship that seems to be quivering between, between a good thing and a bad thing. God, you're greater than the fact that we may not know where our prodigal son or daughter is this morning. God, you're greater our marriage that seems just a little rockier this morning than it did yesterday. God, would you bring us to a place where we could not only bring it and lay it in front of you, but that we could leave it there. Knowing that you, in your infinite power and grace, can and truly do want to remove the burden of worry from our shoulders and replace it with a rock-solid trust says, God, I don't know how you're going to work it out, but I know you're greater. So I lash myself to those words. And I take very seriously Matthew chapter 6, which is not a polite suggestion, but an imperative command. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries for itself. Father, may you allow us to live in this moment, wrapped in your faithfulness and your trust. Would you allow us to release worry so that we can truly live free today? We pray these things. In the name of our God and Father, who says, I am greater. All God's people agreed together, and they said,